0: I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the 17th chapter of the book of Proverbs. We are, past few weeks, in the upcoming few weeks, we are going to be doing topical studies through the book of Proverbs, and this morning we're looking at Proverbs that deal with how we use the words of our mouths. We're starting in chapter 17, verse 27, and I'll continue reading Into chapter 18 till verse 8, and then skip down to verses 20 and 21. Please give your attention to God's word. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Helen Keller. She was famous for overcoming severe disabilities in order to become a famous author and speaker. She was actually born with full health, but when she was just a toddler, she went through a very serious illness, and as a result of that illness, she became both blind and deaf. As she grew, she was literally trapped in her body, in a sense, unable to have any meaningful interactions or communications with the people around her, because of her blindness and her deafness. Her family sought out the experts, and eventually they were led to a young woman named Ann Sullivan. And Ann came to live with the Kellers, and every day she began trying to connect with Helen, and the method by which she did it was to use sign language, but since, of course, Helen was blind, she had to actually spell out the words with her hand into the hand of Helen. So Helen would feel the shape of the, the symbols for the letters that Anne was making with her hand. But it didn't work for many days, for many weeks. And as day after day, all day long, Anne kept trying to spell words into Anne, to Helen's hand so that she might understand and connect with her and communicate with her, they just got more and more frustrated with one another and more and more angry until one day there was a great breakthrough If you've ever seen the movie The Miracle Worker, it's a very powerful last scene in that movie where Anne is pumping water at the water pump and just all of a sudden makes the connection between the water flowing out of the pump and the letters that Anne Sullivan was spelling into her hand. And right after that breakthrough, she becomes very excited and she starts running around asking Ann Sullivan to spell out all the objects, all the familiar objects in her house, in her life, so that she might know what they're called and so that she might communicate. The ability to use words freed Helen from her prison. Her ability to use words enabled communication and enabled her to have a relationship with her family and others in her life and eventually enabled her to pursue education, and she became the first person who was blind and deaf that was able to get a college degree. We take words for granted. We spew out words all day long, and we just take for granted what a gift it is, and what a reflection of the image of God it is in us. The complexity and, and subtlety of language, of our ability to use words. God gave us that gift so that we might be in relationship with him and with each other, so we might love him and love one another. Experts say that we use an average of 15,000 words a day, that we speak 15,000 words a day. Some of us a lot less, some of us a lot more, but that's about the average. And that's not even counting what we use for texting and emails and posting on Facebook. So it shouldn't be surprising to us, as we're looking at all the most important themes in the book of Proverbs, that the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom that God has given us, has more to say about how we use our tongues than about any other topic. And we saw in the last verse I read in chapter 18, really the point of the matter. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's a very consistent message all through scripture from the first page to the last that the tongue, the way we use our mouth, the words that we produce, that this is a tremendous power. It's a dangerous force and we must use it very, very carefully. That's why it's one of the most repeated commands in scripture i don't know if you've ever noticed it but if you're going through everything that the book of proverbs has to say about the tongue one of the most repeated commands in some words or another is shut up chapter 10 verse 19 when words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent All you introverts are going to love these verses. Number 13, or Proverbs 13, verse 3, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Chapter 21, verse 23, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And the problem isn't with our mouth, is it? The problem's really with our heart. It's a heart problem. Jesus said, out of the abundance or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem is is that our mouth is connected directly to our heart. And sometimes when we open our mouths, we show the ugliness that lurks in the fullness of our heart. So the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the destructive power of our bad words. The destructive power of our bad words. And when I say bad words, I don't only mean cursing or dirty words. Proverbs does address that. Proverbs usually calls those words perverse words or crooked words. But much more often, the bad words that come out of our mouths that Proverbs addresses are the words that are classified as gossip or slander or lying or boasting. In chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, it speaks of the power of our tongue in this way. It says, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. We can destroy relationships with our tongue, and we can even overthrow whole communities with the power of our tongue. We read in verse 8 of chapter 18, it says the words of a whisperer. That's a term that Proverbs uses fairly often, a whisperer. Not just somebody who talks quietly, but somebody who whispers negative information about somebody else is a whisperer. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Just For clarity's sake, by definition, gossip is saying something negative, something that puts somebody else in a negative light to a third person. When you say something negative about somebody and they're not present, that's gossip. Slander is a step worse because it includes gossip with lying. Slander is when you say something false about somebody else to put them in a negative light when they're not present. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about gossip and slander. Gossip and slander go directly to the soul of the person listening to it. Gossip and slander have the power to change what other people think about other people. Interesting that the, that proverb says that gossip and slander are delicious. They're delicious morsels. They're very sweet to the taste. Why do we like to hear gossip? Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It appeals to our pride. It makes us feel accepted by the one who's putting others down so that we're in the in crowd. And we take gossip and slander far too lightly. If somebody in our congregation were to commit some overt sexual sin, that would hurt the congregation. But the damage of the sexual sins in the lives of the people in a congregation are not nearly so damaging as the sin of gossip and slander. And yet we not only overlook gossip and slander so easily, but we are so guilty of it, each and every one of us, to one degree or another. Not many of us are going to use the quote-unquote F word out there in public, at least, but all of us will come to church and gossip. And gossip and slander is probably the most powerfully destructive force in terms of the use of our mouth and the use of our tongues. One commentator said, it only takes two people to destroy a church, one person to gossip and the other person to willingly listen to it. That's all it takes. And I've actually seen it happen many times. Chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Words are like sword thrusts. They do deep and lasting damage to the soul. When we were kids and out there on the playground and one of the other children would start making fun of us, they'd call us names, we would shout out, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's both boasting and lying because it's not at all true, is it? The hurtful words that people say go far deeper and hurt us far, far more and for more, far more long-term damage than any physical attacks. I can remember... Very little of the physical uh, bumps and bruises that I endured as a child, but I still remember many of the hurtful things that were said to me. And I just maybe take a side note here, not really a side note, but just to address the parents. We all as parents are so overwhelmed by the, the job that we're given by the Lord to teach and discipline our children And the sins in our children's lives mount up so much in any given day that that we do end up kind of picking and choosing what we're going to address, what we're going to discipline. Well, what is interesting to me is that if one of our children goes over and punches the other child in the nose, they will definitely get a serious punishment in your household, no doubt. But if one of your children says something mean something demeaning, something abusive to their sibling, much of that goes unaddressed. And I just want to say, just realize that gossip and slander and harshness of the tongue, disrespect with the tongue, those are serious character issues. And the damage that is done is far greater than any physical abuse or attack. Verse 7 that we read a moment ago says, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. We will be condemned by our words apart from the grace of God. Jesus made it clear. He couldn't have said it any more clearly than he did in Luke chapter 12, verse 2. He said, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Listen to this. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We will be called to give an account for every word that we say. And we will be called to an account for the damage that we have done with our tongues. James, the book of James I'm convinced James loved the book of Proverbs because so many of the themes of Proverbs show up in the writings of James, but particularly what James, James has a lot to say about the tongue, but listen to this. You think the book of Proverbs is hard on the tongue. Listen to what James says in James chapter 3, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And again, just remember, it's not a mouth problem, it's a heart problem. The mouth only reveals what's in the heart. No human being contain the tongue and Proverbs says that it's our tongue that brings ruin upon us and the eternal condemnation of God. James in chapter 1 verse 26 says, "If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, de- but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The religion of an unbridled tongue is worthless. Paul said that God gave us his law not as a way to gain approval from God, but God gave us his law so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, as we stand before a holy God, a God who knows every word we've ever said, even every word we've ever thought, we all stand before him ruined and condemned by this tongue of fire that's within us. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? Well, That's where we need to always go to the redeeming power of God's word that is greater than the offense of our words. The message of the book of Proverbs over and over and over again is fear the Lord and seek his wisdom. And God's wisdom is even personified. We've already seen it earlier in the book that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is portrayed as a person. And listen to how this person is described in chapter 8. If you go back to chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. Here, for I, this is wisdom speaking. For, here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs but wisdom is incarnate in the New Testament. The wisdom of God is becomes incarnate as the eternal son of God added to his human, his divine nature, a human nature, and came and dwelt in our midst. John chapter 1 says Jesus is the ultimate word from God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was not just a prophet. Jesus Christ was the eternal son of God. He is god who became man. Jesus Christ is the very expression of God to us. Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. The one who always spoke and always has spoke spoken what is true and good and noble and right and beautiful. Just like Ann Sullivan had to break into Helen Keller's life to get through the barriers to be able to connect with her, to be able to communicate with her, that's why Jesus Christ came to earth. That's why he came and dwelt among us, is to speak to us, to bring his truth and his message of grace, the message of the gospel to us, so that we might be delivered from the prison of our sin. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's why Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God became a man, and he spoke the words of truth that we need to us, and then he went to the cross and died in our place. And he bore the condemnation and wrath that our sins of the tongue deserve, as well as our sins of thought and sins of deed. He bore it all on the cross. He was punished. He was condemned. He died an eternal death on that cross, in your place, in my place, so that we can be forgiven. Used to be, I don't think it's much of a tradition anymore, but when kids would say bad words when they, be in the presence of their parents, their parents would at least threaten and sometimes follow through by saying they wash out their... Mouth with a bar of soap. I'm sure Christian parents meant that as a metaphor because really the only thing that can wash out a mouth is the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Only the blood of Christ can make your mouth clean. He can give us clean mouths by which we can praise God, by which we can pray to God, by which we can be in relationship with God because our sins have been forgiven. No human being can tame the tongue, says James, but Jesus Christ can tame our tongues. Jesus Christ gives us his spirit so that we might be able to put reins on our tongue and stop using it for destructive purposes and use it for redemptive purposes, for the purposes of blessing others and praising him. That is one of the greatest gifts of our salvation, is that he gives us the use of our tongue for noble and beautiful purposes. He transforms our tongues from weapons of mass destruction to powerful forces for good in his kingdom. When the power of our tongue is harnessed by the Lord, we can transform the lives of the people around us. Just as powerful as the words of our tongues are to destroy the lives and to destroy the community around us, it's even more powerful when it's under the Lordship of Christ and with the reins of Christ on our tongue is even more powerful to bring good and to bring transformation to the lives of the people around us. And the book of Proverbs talks about that a lot. It says in chapter 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Remember how Jesus said that if we trust in Him and His Spirit is in us, then rivers of living water flow from us to those around. In chapter 10, verse 21, it says the lips of the righteous feed many because we've been given the words of the bread of life, the water of life, Jesus Christ himself. And so we're able to feed the spiritual hunger of people around us with our tongue. Chapter 12, verse 18 says rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Christ gives us the power and the words to bring healing where our tongue and the tongues of other people have caused deep and lasting wounds and damage that heal so slowly. Chapter 16, verse 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. And chapter 22, verse 1 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That's what a tamed tongue looks like a tongue that's been tamed by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We've already said that the very first step in the taming of the tongue is stopping the tongue, restraining the tongue, to limit and restrain our words, to use fewer words and to use the words that we do use much more carefully and more prayerfully. Remember when you were a kid and your mom would tell you, When you're upset or you're angry, count to ten before you say anything. We thought that was silly, but actually science has proven that it's true, that they've studied the brain to the point now that they have found out that the part of our brain that controls our rational thought is actually slower than the part of our brain that controls our emotions. The amygdala operates about Two to three seconds faster so when mom said 10 seconds it was just overkill but that our amygdala actually processes things that just two or three seconds faster than the part of our brain that processes our rational thought and so it just nails home what the scripture is trying to say to us restrain your words stop think about what you're about to say better yet pray about what you're about to say before you say it. It says in chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Do you see the contrast there? The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. When I first read that, I was reminded of Nehemiah. Remember when Nehemiah... He was working in the court of the king of Persia, and he got news that the, the exiles who had returned to Jerusalem were in a vulnerable state, their walls were down, and he was concerned for not only the people of God, but the promise of God for the remnant. And so he goes before the king, and the king asks him what's wrong, and it, I'll just give it to you literally from the text. It says, then the king said to Nehemiah, what are you requesting? And here's how, it's what Nehemiah says the very next thing. So I prayed to the God of heaven. In one verse you have the question from the king, in the, ver- the next verse you have Nehemiah's response to the king, but in between the question and the response there is the brief statement, so I prayed to the God of heaven. If we would take a moment to pray and to consider our words in light of God's word before we speak them, we would say a lot fewer words, but we'd say a lot more holy and healing words, Bless- words that are a blessing. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I've gotten to know a few southern people in my time, and I know we have a few among us. They have something over on us, northerners. They're slower to speak than we are. We northerners especially, I do think that we need to slow down and speak words of blessing. Before you say something, train yourself by the power of the Spirit work at work in you, train yourself to ask yourself, is it what I'm about to say true? Is it kind and is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind and is it necessary? you should really take one of those verses that we read in unison at the beginning of the service from Ephesians 4, verse 29 in particular. Take that verse, put it on your mirror, your bathroom mirror, so it's the first thing you see every morning, and take it to heart every day. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as, as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Those are the kind of words that are to come out of your mouth, words that build up others and gives grace to others. Words of encouragement have a powerful effect. Chapter 12, verse 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. We had a, in the church that I pastored in the suburbs of Philadelphia, we had a a lady, she was actually an elderly lady when we went there, and I was there 20 years, and she was still around when I left 20 years later, so I guess she was very elderly by that point, but everybody loved Ruth, and Ruth, she was a homemaker, she didn't ever have a career outside the home, and she, matter of fact, she never even learned how to drive, she didn't have a driver's license. But she had a powerful ministry in our congregation, and her ministry was made up of a stack of note cards, pretty little note cards she had on her desk at home. And every week she would go home and she would take one of those note cards, they were empty on the inside, and she would write a long, very thoughtful, very encouraging note to somebody in the church or multiple somebodies in the church during the week. That was her ministry. She had a ministry of encouragement. And I got a number of those cards over all the years that I ministered to there, and I still have them. It was very thoughtful, prayerful encouragement. And she did more to strengthen that congregation than a lot of people that probably were up front in a lot more obvious in public positions. When I was in another church in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, the pastor one day preached a sermon on Barnabas. Barnabas is a fascinating figure in the book of Acts. Barnabas had a nickname he's called the son of encouragement and as the pastor preached the sermon day he showed how Barnabas one of the things he's most known for was when Paul who had been persecuting the church and putting Christians to death when he was converted Barnabas was the one who spoke up for Paul to the rest of the church so that he might be accepted he was a son of encouragement. Well after that sermon the pastor got the great idea of having little blue cards made up that were called Barnabas cards. And from that Sunday on, every Sunday in the pew, you would see these little Barnabas cards. And the idea was to take the Barnabas card. When you're at church and you're seeing what everybody else is doing and all the service that's happening, while you're there, take up one of those cards, put a note of encouragement on it, and either put it in the offering or deliver it in person, but use it to encourage somebody else in the church. Those are the way that we build up the church. Those are the way that we speak grace to other people. That doesn't mean you never say anything negative or critical about another person. Sometimes a rebuke is what is needed. Chapter 27 of Proverbs verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes we need to say hard things to one another if we really love one another. But that's the key phrase. It must be done in love. Speak the truth in love. If you ever say anything negative or critical about another person, stop and pray and consider, am I saying this negative thing about another person in order to help them and build them up and to speak grace to them, or am I doing it to tear them down to make myself feel feel better about myself? I think I could probably safely say that 98% of the time that you say something negative about somebody who's not present, you're sinning. Maybe 2% of the time when you say something negative about somebody who's not present, you're actually talking maybe to your pastor or your elder or a family member to say some things that concern you about another person's life so that they can either help you or you can be better equipped to go and help that person. That's about the only situation I can think of where you're going to say something negative about a third person that's not in their presence. We are to speak words that build one another up and speak grace to other people. Has Jesus Christ washed out your mouth? Has he made your mouth clean through his atoning blood on the cross? Is he taming your tongue? Are you seeing the Holy Spirit transforming you so that your tongue is held by the reins of the Lord Jesus Christ and that more and more and more it's being used, used to bless others, to help others, to lovingly rebuke others, and to sing his praises and pray to him. Let me give you one more verse as I close today to put on your mirror at home. First thing you see in the morning, pray this prayer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, it is difficult to go through these proverbs that speak about the destructive power of our tongues because we are easily reminded of so many ways in which we have harmed others ways in which we have spoken that have brought disrepute on ourselves on our church even upon you lord we want to be renewed in your forgiveness lord today thank you for the cross thank you that because of the cross not only are the sins of our mouths forgiven but our mouths are redeemed and transformed Thank you for your patience with us and your work of grace in us. Use us to speak blessing into the lives of our family, our congregation, our neighborhood, and our community, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.